Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Production. I am your host, Art Aldridge, and joining me today, I have Lulita from DVNC. I have John Sheeran from Houston, Texas. And for the first time on This Week in Production, we have a caller on the phone. We have Chip Maynard from Rhode Island. Chip, welcome to This Week in Production. Thank you, Art. It's good to be here. Uh, the audience has heard Lou and John before. They have not met you, so to speak. Can you give us a little uh, info on Chip? Sure, sure. Um, I spent uh, about 17 years in broadcasting at a local uh, network affiliate. And then I spent the last 10 years in production for a, a cable company uh, doing commercial productions, 30-second spots, 15s, and um, some digital ads, too. So I've got a uh, pretty good feeling. I'm, I'm sort of like Lou in the sense that I kind of have to do it all. Producer sort of aspect of it where you, you talk to meet with the client, write the script, come up with the idea, shoot, edit, graphics, the whole nine yards. And in, uh, when I was in broadcast, I primarily focused on post-production. So that was where I really, most of my strength lies is in uh, post-production sort of work. Great. Well, we're happy to have you on the podcast. The topic today epic failures, failures <laughs> in your professional life that have in some way shaped your outcome going forward. And um, I know I've got a couple of stories that have happened to me along my way that have, you know, shaped me. And I think everyone at the table will have a story and we'll, we'll go around the horn. But uh, I'll start off. And um, the first story I'll share is a story when I first got out of college. Uh, I finished at NYU, at NYU Film School. And uh, I was fortunate enough to land a job at a uh, broadcast station in New York. It was a Spanish language station. And the, uh, the entire network was Spanish speaking, except for the technical staff. They were mostly Americans, gringos, as they referred to us as. Um, but I got hired because I knew the, the edit room, I knew the switcher, I had used all this equipment in college and in some of the jobs that I've had before um, college. But I was young and I was basically hired to be a vacation relief editor for about eight staff editors. And they all got about four weeks of vacation. So I knew I had about a 32 week employment window and I was very excited to have this job. I got my, uh, na my NABIT card after um, uh, starting work there. So it was all very exciting. And I went through a two-week uh, training process where uh, several of the editors were showing me uh, the room and the process. And the, the big task that I was um, to be assigned was editing. They only did one newscast. They did a 6 o'clock newscast. And it's New York. It's their big market. And my job was to edit the news open, which was a tease of the stories, had a couple of fancy transitions between the stories. And then you had to, uh, it was all uh, beta cam and one inch inner format, CMX editing, um, had abacus uh, effects. And 
it was a one man room. So you were your own tape op, you were the editor, you were the graphics. And uh, so I went through two weeks of training and everything seemed like it was going smoothly. And uh, my first night that I was going to solo, uh, I told the news producers, listen, come down a little earlier than normal. Let's get a jump on the news open so that we're not having any complications, you know, due to it's my first day. He's like, yeah, yeah, great. No problem. We'll get down here about 4.30. So I'm in my chair, in my edit suite, waiting for the news producer to come down. And 4.30 comes and goes. 5 o'clock comes and goes. Now, I'm beginning to get a little worried. Call his desk phone. Yeah, yeah, we've got some breaking news. As soon as we get this uh, package cut, I'll be down. Okay, great. A little tense, a little cold sweat starting to break out. Uh, so he rolls in about 5.35. News starts at 6. They need the news open about 5.55. Mm-hmm. So I've got 20 minutes now to edit this little 30-second. On open. tape, too, I'm imagining. On tape, yep. to one inch. So I've got very detailed notes about what has to be routed and patched and, you know, the process. And... Uh, as soon as I start to go through my notes and, and set up the, um, the switcher, I realize that everything that I've been told by this one editor who was training me was wrong. <laughs> Bad time. <laughs> Not know. one thing <laughs> was accurate. Uh. Now, the producer doesn't know what's going on other than I got the new gringo editing my news open. So I'm doing the best I can to undo everything that I've been told is the right way to do it. (laughs) Now, I have uh, the control room for the newsroom is across the hallway, not very far. And I'll never forget, Julio is the tape op. Don? No, (laughs) not Don. Julio is the first name. Very fortuitous, though. But That uh, was telling, foreboding. Yes. So Julio, I'm getting nervous just telling you this story. Uh, I can feel it. So Julio, uh, I can see him across the hallway because it's glass doors between the two control rooms. And he's very impatient because he wants the open racked up on his one inch machine so he can play it back at 559 when they go. And uh, they keep calling the edit suite. Where's the news open? And I'm, you know, now I'm backtracking, figuring out how to fix the problems. Mm -hmm. And um, they're calling and they're getting impatient. I'm, I'm making progress. But in that 20 minutes, it's, you know, not fast enough. Time is running out. Time is running out. So I make the last edit, I get the news open done. And uh, it's about 556. And now I have to rewind the one-inch machine. I have to take the cassette off. I have to bring it around the corner to Julio, and Julio has to thread it Mm -hmm. and play it back. And the I hear the director on the intercom, and you know they're counting down, they're getting the live shots ready, all this stuff. Where's the open? Where's the (laughs) fucking open? (laughs) And I'm like, it's coming, it's coming now. Now you have to imagine I'm in a um, a blue button-down shirt, Mm -hmm. the only one I owned. And I have sweated completely through it. 
<laughs> I've sweated completely through the shirt. I'm rewinding the tape. They're calling for the tape. They want to see it on the machine. They want to play it back. They want to make yep. sure it's all good. Right. It's coming. It's coming. Rewind the tape. I am running through the halls like a scene out of broadcast news. If you remember that scene. Mm -hmm. And I get the tape to Julio at like 5.58. Tick-tock. Tick -tock, 5.58. And I've never seen a tape op thread up a, a tape faster than Julio threaded this tape. Threaded it up. They got it on air on time. Now, I was curled up on the floor in a puddle of my own sweat. <laughs> Drowning. Lord. But it was a learning experience because I later realized that the uh, editor, who I will not name, uh, was fearful that I was there to take their job. So he sabotaged. Yes, he or she sabotaged wow. my learning for the purpose of protecting their job. And it was, it was hard to imagine that that could happen, mm. but it did. Oh. And how old were you at this point? I was about 22 years old. Scarred for life. Scarred, yeah. scarred for life. The beginning of the jaded process. So that was, that was my first sort of experience that, okay, not everyone in this world is here to at least, you know, get the job done. They're not all out for yeah. the same goal. There is an I in team, then, there is, is what a, you're saying. There, there is. <laughs> um, and then I will tell you my second story, which is even a little more embarrassing. And this was about two years later. I'm doing some freelance work around the, uh, the stations in the area. I've got a little more confidence, two years older. A little swagger. A little swagger. I get a call from NBC Sports, uh, a producer that I had worked with referred me. Uh, at the last minute, they needed an editor to go down to their remote, which was in New Jersey in uh, Belmar. They were doing a live weekend broadcast of the AVP volleyball. And I remember I was in a, a shore house for the summer, and I was down there, uh, probably drunk, and uh, hanging out with my friends, and I got the call. And I was like, kind of a proud peacock, like, hey, NBC Sports call. I have to go do an NBC Sports job. Yeah. So the job was to go to the remote truck and uh, do some editing. The, the pre-match uh, packages needed to be cut. And it was all like one-inch beta cam in the truck. And that was all great, all fine. Everything was going well. And uh, they came to me after my first day and said, listen, the, um, the replay operator um, called in sick. Um, you know how to run a tape machine. Can you, uh, can you run replay? I said, well, I've never run replay. I don't know what's involved in replay. Oh, it's just, you know, you hit play on the one-inch machine. It's pretty straightforward. How hard can it be? <laughs> I'm like, well, if you're if you're stuck, I can certainly give it a go. But don't, you know, put me on a major camera or, or something because I don't really know what I'm doing. He's like, don't worry. We'll put you on the easiest camera. Okay, great. So I go over <laughs> to the tape trailer. And uh, these are big, you know, NEP 46 yeah, inch yeah. trailers. And there's a tape producer behind me and there's four other tape ops in the truck. And we all have a camera or two that we record. You cue it up, you play it back for the uh, tape producer. They call the replay to the director, take this one, this one, this one. So the first four hours, you know, seems like goes pretty well. Kind of have the routine down, but they haven't taken my replay. But I'm on the net 
the high net. So they have a spike on my camera. And this is live coverage. This is live TV, mm-hmm. NBC Sports. And um, so they, uh, they tape producer sees the replay. I played for him. He likes it. He goes, okay, I got it on Charlie. Take Charlie. Director, okay, you know, cue Charlie and take it. And the way that you roll the, uh, the one-inch replay is you use your hand sure. to do the slow motion. There's no controller. It's just <laughs> hand, like a spin <laughs> hand action. True analog. Yeah, it's like the thigh master. <laughs> so Wipe on. I, uh, I cue it up, and director calls for it, and I roll it backwards. <laughs> On live TV, I roll the replay backwards. So the director, the director who may have been Howard Stern, I'm not sure, but the director (laughs) on the headsets rips me a new asshole. Not just for that minute, that moment, but for the entire telecast. He is ripping me a new asshole. And I thought that was a little over the top, a little unnecessary. Mm. But now I am determined to get a replay on the air because I feel like I've been, um, you know, thrown under the bus. Dismerged. Sure. So I, I continue to uh, sit in there and I'm like a mix of emotions. Like I want to cry. I want to yell. I want to scream. I want to run out the door. What's the sweat factor at this point? Uh, who knows? It's hot. It's summertime <laughs> at Belmar and, you know. You're in a, you're small, in a truck. You're in a small tape truck with five other guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I keep queuing up. I show the producers, but they're not calling my camera at mm. all. Not and in I the circle of trust. I turn around and I said, listen, I have to get a replay on the air. I have to. Oh, I was not going to be scarred for life. Mm. And to my credit, maybe or not, uh, near the end of the match, they call my 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 uh, camera and i replay the slow-mo in the right direction nice now to top it all off <laughs> at the end of the uh, broadcast we're you know breaking down everything up the director comes up to me goes you know i was just busting your balls right i'm like really <laughs> really you That's threw me under the bus for three hours and you just busted my balls over every headset wow yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. wow and did you ever work with that guy again? I never worked with that guy again, and I never did live sports again. I learned. So that was it for me. You said I'm out. <laughs> that was it for me. So the learning lesson there was don't do live sports. Well, I, I think for me the learning lesson was don't necessarily extend yourself into an area that you're not completely comfortable in. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's funny. This this actually might segue into one of my disasters, Please. which happened early in my career in live sports. So I worked in, at a TV station, a startup TV station in New London, Connecticut. Very local, very new. Everyone there was young and new, and and but it was brand new, and we all got our opportunity. So somebody had the idea to broadcast live the oldest rivalry in the country, which was um, uh, New London High School versus Fitch, which was uh, a rival high school close by, I think in Ledger, Connecticut. And this was a big deal for us. I mean, we brought in like specialists and had a live truck and we're all going to, you know, do the Thanksgiving live game. And my assignment was to do handheld. I was very good at handheld, very steady. They called me the human tripod. And oh, I thought that was for a different reason. No, no, I just I was very solid, very solid. 
that was a pretty good surgeon, by the way. <laughs> so, so the the key shot was in usually in high school sports is they have the banner with the with the logo of or the you know the school, the school you know whatever it was a wildcat or a, a falcon or whatever it was field mouse field mouse and you know across the big banner and the and the team was going to come running out and crash through, through it and and my assignment was to be on my knee go on low angle go on right with the team coming at me and now mind you we were not wireless this is a bad dream i had once <laughs> Then this was circa, I would say, November 1986, right? So 33 years ago. And so I had a cable puller, right? So we had, you know, long triax cable and, and I won't say who it was, but so his assignment was to, you know, be tethered to me and make sure that, you know, wherever I went, he came with me and protected me and nobody tripped on cables. So so we're all ready to go. They had the wide shot, standby, camera one, whatever I was. Here they come, and I get the shot. And right as the team comes through the paper to split it, the cable puller panicked and ran the opposite direction with me tethered. And next <laughs> thing you know, I am upside down on the ground. And all the director knows is this camera is useless. And now live, we're on the air with my shot. And he's like, camera one, get up. Camera one, what what are you doing? What is going on? This and, sounds a lot like and, my wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> and now, mind you, my, my headsets have sort of been half torn off. And I'm like looking over at the guy incredulously, like, what, like what's happened? But it's like we, we're live. We got to deal with this. And, and he's panicked. And, and in fact, later I watched the replay again, the wide shot. You could see the whole pandemonium. Oh. And I was, it was just the worst feeling in my stomach. So everything went, ended up going fine. But much like you, Art, they busted my balls for the next three hours. You know, they, they, they actually named me. My name is Lou. They called me Lou, Greg Luganus. If you remember Greg Luganus <laughs> was, was, was a high diver. And, he, and, yeah. and, you know, they thought I took a dive. Took a dive. Yes. And yeah. I could not shake that. So, and it was written about in the, in the local paper the next day, you know, Ugh. a valiant effort other than the, like we could look this up in the, in the newspaper. You probably, the, 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 the new London day right. was written. Uh, we could probably well, find they, it. Listeners, they it, listeners it. that that's your homework assignment. <laughs> find the reference. It, it was for awful. Lolita. And, and a little side note, I always had a penchant for the ball or the, or a play coming toward me and there being trouble. You know, whether I got hit or a player almost hit me or the camera got knocked over, it just seemed like I had that magnetic field where trouble would find me, which offered you the ability to get some great shots, but you put yourself in peril. So it was pretty painful to to kind of have your first live broadcast. And and what was the, the lesson learned? The lesson learned is uh, go wireless, go wireless. If only they had <laughs> such a thing. Yeah, um, I, I guess maybe talk about the potential of and I know, John, you're always talking about safety and what could happen because things happen or as we like to say, you know, shit happens, which they did actually give me a bumper sticker later that year and said shit happens that was the theme of my <laughs> wedding <laughs> I, I think we got to do a whole podcast on your I'm wedding, wedding I'm, yes. in fact, yeah. maybe a reenactment that, that's a quite a story <laughs> so, we'll see if dr phil's available to help you on that art <laughs> thank you so yeah that was my nightmare into life and that actually kind of turned me off 
of doing live television as much as I had fantasized about that as a kid, you know, I loved live sports and the world series and super bowl. I mean, in the truck and the excitement of, you know, being a sports fan, it's sort of like, it's what you think you want. Isn't always what you really want. And until I, you it, do something, yeah, you don't you, know, you, you sort of fantasize about it, but until you live it, it's, and you know, I got out of live television shortly after that and have never looked back. So that was my nightmare. I have had a number of different experiences as well uh, in my career. And I'm going to give the panel here a chance to choose what they would like. <laughs> All right. What they All would right. like multiple to hear choice. about. It's a multiple choice. Oh, so we have a choice of a situational awareness, which we've kind of gone into here. We have another choice of never hang out with the movie stars. <laughs> or we have another choice of when you're out of your comfort zone and you have to work the problem with absolutely no prior experience with that type of a problem. So I'll, I'll leave it open to the crew, the, the three panel crew as to which memory. I want to hear about don't hang out with the movie. Yeah, stars. I would say, I think this is the most salacious. Yes. I don't salacious think, I don't is think anyone else in this room will have a story like that. It, You've made a good choice, and I should. <laughs> I think we're going to win either way. I should warn those under eighteen to uh, get parental guidance to oh, hear the rest of this titillating. podcast. Wow. It does have a a few off color moments, so um, have have the seven 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 second delay ready. So uh, early in my career, I worked a lot of feature films. I was almost. Uh, um, that's all I did for about 15 or 20 years was just feature films. And uh, early in my career, I was a second camera assistant and I worked under a number of really excellent directors of photography, camera operators, and first camera assistants. One of which being a gentleman uh, who was my first camera assistant on uh, uh, a project uh, with a number of very famous female stars. Um, in uh, Alabama, I believe it was, or was it Louisiana, Louisiana, Natchitoches, Louisiana. So um, we were on five day weeks shooting Monday through Friday. And so uh, we were usually putting in between uh, 65 and 75 hours a week. So our Saturdays and Sundays were spent relaxing. And one of the relaxing things about shooting in Natchitoches, Louisiana, is there's a very large freshwater lake right next to the city that has a lot of water sports on it. And so what my first assistant, a gentleman by the name of Bill McConnell, uh, he lives down in uh, uh, Florida, and his family would do is they'd rent a speedboat and they would go water skiing every Saturday or every Sunday whenever they had time and uh, would invite me to go along with them. And so one of the weekends, I got to the ski boat rental facility at the marina earlier than Bill did. So I rented the ski boat for the day and put it on my credit card. And we went off and we skied, he and his family and myself, for about five or six hours. Had a great time, but after five or six hours of water skiing, you're pretty tired. You're pretty sunburned. You're pretty Is drenched. there any alcohol involved? Lots of alcohol involved. So you're a little bit dehydrated as well. What is the, the alcohol du jour back then? I think it was just beer. Whatever, Bud? What, yeah, whatever the local beer was. We were pretty pedestrian back this then. This sounds like an episode of the Ozarks. <laughs> it does. It's yeah. getting there. It's getting Where there. Where are the poppy seeds? 
so the the name of the project was uh, Steel Magnolias, and oh, yeah, we had a, a, a number of very movie. very um, uh, popular female stars on that. Uh, one of which was a, a young woman by the name of Daryl Hannah. And oh, yes. Daryl Hannah had just come Splash. off of Splash, exactly. And so she was very, very uh, uh, famous for that. But uh, she had a quite a different role in Steel Magnolias. So at the end of the ski trip for that day, we were motoring back into the marina. And Daryl and her boyfriend at the time and her boyfriend's son were standing at the dock. And they were wanting to go water skiing. But all the ski boats were out. On rental. So as we started unloading the boat, um, my friend Bill McConnell and his family got out of the boat and Daryl wanted to borrow the boat to go water skiing. Well, I was uncomfortable with her borrowing the boat that was out on my credit card. So I <laughs> offered to drive the boat while they water skied. And I figured, you know, we'd be out for an hour and the sun was going down and we'd go home. So we, uh, knowing she was a mermaid, what could go wrong? It was that, but there was this sort of vibe going on between her and her boyfriend and her boyfriend's son. And I, I didn't want to give him the boat. I, because it was on my card and sure it was just one and of those. It had a bunch of drugs. It was, so. <laughs> it was, it was more about the credit card than it was right. about self-protection. Exactly. So out we go skiing and, um, Daryl, uh, gets out first and she's on a boogie board uh, on her knees and she is just like flipping and going back and forth. And she's just like this mermaid mm-hmm. on this boogie board. And I'm just watching these incredible, incredible athletic moves that she's now, doing. Can you paint the scene a little more vibrantly? It was backlit. It was sort oh, of what glowing. Was she wearing. <laughs> I'm just seeing fins. Anyhow, it was, it was, it was really fun to watch her, but while she's at the end of the ski rope, 50 feet away, her boyfriend Jack and her boyfriend's son are arguing. They're, they're just having a really... On the boat. On the boat, five feet away from me, and I've got to try to ignore it. Are they arguing about who's going next? Well, they are because the young man hasn't been water skiing before, and his father really wants him to try water skiing, and the young boy doesn't want to do it. Oh, okay. so Daryl gets done skiing. She comes on board and it is determined that the young boy will now learn to water ski. Well, we've all, well, not we've all, but most of us, a lot of us have learned to water ski and it's a very difficult process. If you've never done it before, it takes patient mm-hmm. patience from the participants involved. And there was none of that this day, <laughs> especially at this hour after how many beers? Well, I don't know if they had been drinking. And by, no, by but... this point, it had all worn off. So <laughs> I was just sunburnt and dehydrated. And all I wanted to do was park the boat. But I had this group of people on the boat. So basically, like a beginner, the sun goes out with two skis and he tries to get up and he goes down. He tries to get up. He goes down. He tries to get up, goes down. And all the while, his father's standing at the back of the boat yelling at him because he's ruining the day. And if he doesn't get on the skis, he's a failure. And things are just Uh, escalating and escalating. This sounds a lot like my wedding night. And all I want to do is just park the boat and go home. So at a certain point, 
the young boy comes back on board and I say like, Hey, can I go out for a while? And so Jack takes over, uh, the, uh, uh, control of the boat. I go out skiing. I'm on two skis. Thank God. Um, I really hadn't learned to slalom by then, but, um, I, I was able to get up and take off. So once I started skiing, they kind of forgot about me because now three of them are arguing amongst themselves <laughs> on the boat and just driving up and down this lake. And I'm hung out to dry on the back of this boat for like a half an hour. I'm out there skiing <laughs> and I'm getting no so tired. I mean, it's the end of now. Like a... you, you could just let go of the rope. Well, yeah, but, uh, like, but I didn't think they'd come, come back and get me. So, so like 20 or 30 minutes into this marathon ski, my legs just give out. <laughs> and so I sit down on the skis and I find that I can tolerate it by just putting my knees together and physically sitting down on the back of the two skis. But what I didn't know is that <laughs> since I'm not wearing a Speedo or a tight fitting <laughs> bathing suit and we're traveling at 35 miles an hour, I am getting a fresh water enema. <laughs> hey, and I that have word again. no idea about it. So this is where the kids should leave the, should, should leave the, the room. And so after about five minutes of sitting on my skis, I go to stand up again and oh my God, I just get these cramps in my abdomen <laughs> and I have no idea. I figure I, Holy mackerel. my first thought is I'm dehydrated. So, so I can't hold on the rope. I let go of the rope and I slowly lose my speed and I just slowly sink down into the water. It's a very controlled letting go of the rope and a sinking down. I didn't, didn't wipe out or anything like that. So I have my, I have my life vest on. So I'm just floating there and they just keep going straight. Like I've, I'm still behind the boat and I'm thinking, <sighs> oh man, this is crazy. And about that time. I start to do my impression of a Saturn V booster rocket. And <laughs> I start to explode out my bottom. Oh my God. With <laughs> a couple hundred gallons. I of think we made water. the wrong choice. And so At I'm least you're in the water. I'm in the water. Yes. Everything's happening below the waterline, but I'm looking down. And you can see the difference of color between the lake water and what I am in it. So the I brown tide. So I start no trying to swim away from this and they see finally that I'm down. So they start circling around. I'm thinking, Oh no, here they come. Carol Hannah's going to see the brown town. I got to get away from this. So I'm swimming and I'm swimming and I'm back paddling, but I've got these two skis stuck to my feet and I can't make a lot of move movement. Anyhow, they come and pick me up. They don't say anything about anything. And I figured they're not seeing it or they don't care about it. Anyhow, that's the end of the evening. We go back to the dock. We pick up the credit card. Did we they pay the tow boat. you in or did they we, let you in the boat? We went back up into the boat. All we right. all played like nothing had happened. And I don't think they knew anything had happened. Very good. So well played. The next day, Monday, I come to set. And so I'm walking to set. And as I walk through all the people going on a set, I can feel eyes coming oh, no. to me. Oh. All the crew is looking at me as I'm walking on the set. And I'm thinking, oh, they all know They're on me. what happened. How, how old are you at this point in your life? Probably 24, 25. Copy somewhere in there. 
So I'm thinking, you know, and no one's saying anything to me. So I get up onto the camera truck. I go start working on the camera truck. And my friend Bill McConnell's already there. And he comes up to me, he goes, so heard about yesterday. How was it? I'm like, what did you hear? He goes, heard you went skiing with Daryl and Jack. And I went, yeah. He goes, so what's Jackson Brown really like? <laughs> and I went, Jack Jackson Brown. Oh, you didn't the know Jackson Brown. He goes, yeah, that's Daryl's boyfriend. I said, well, I can't really say what I said, but <laughs> I was, I was really taken aback because I had no idea that Jack was Jackson Brown. I was going to say, but and I didn't, wow. I thought you were trying to protect. And the, this uh... was his son. And I said, Jackson asshole. He treated his kid like dirt. And I can't believe that she hangs out with a guy like that. So anyhow, never hang out with stars because you never know where you're going to go, how it's going to be interpreted and uh, what price you're going to pay when it comes down. Yeah. To but it. look at the story you get out of it. It's a great story. You know, it's all about the stories, yeah. isn't it? And, and to this day, Jackson Brown denies this story completely. Well, he, he was running an empty. Wait, wait, wait. I might have a sound effect. I got moop. moop. Oh, he does. I do. Wait, wait. What? Do I have one more? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> All right. I, am I promise impressed. you that is the last time you will hear that. You come prepared. <laughs> Great story. Chip, can Chip? you top that? You know, I feel like the guy who's got to go on after Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> it better be good. No, it's not. <laughs> so I was talking to Lou earlier today, and he gave me a heads up that these were going to be, you know, production horror stories. So I'm starting putting them all together in my mind. But he left out the part about how they have a transformative effect on how your career goes after that. Lou has a way of leaving out a little bit of detail. Now the rest of the story. I'm so Paul Harvey. I've, I've got a few smaller stories, but they don't have so much of a payoff as far as how they uh, transformed my life. Chip, you're creative. Make something up. Yeah, I'll, I'll make something up. But so the first one that um, I think is probably the best of the few bunch is uh, it was another live broadcast, but this was the Jerry Lewis telethon. And so you know how that goes. It's the, the national segment has their big thing with Jerry, and then they toss to the local segments. And, and the local and segment. And by the way, the national segment was filmed at the WWR TV studios in Secaucus, where I worked. Full circle. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow. Originally, right? I, I used to have to edit the death roll. Oh, <laughs> no. All the people who died. Oh. That was my job as the rookie editor. But go ahead, Chip. That's your story. Oh, jeez. So by the time I was doing this, this had to be the early, late 90s, or early 2000s. It had to be early 2000s. And so they were in Vegas when they were doing this. Um, not that it matters. but So when they would go to the local segment, during the uh, the national segment, they would have the the bottom third of the screen would have the MDA logo and the one eight hundred number to call into that that thing. But when we went to the local segment, we would super over our local numbers. We had like two or three different ones that we'd cycle through, and so for whatever reason, the way we decided to do this because of equipment limitations back at the studio is we would produce our local segment at the Warwick Mall from the live truck and feed that back to the station. And then at the station, they would super over that, that uh, the lower third number. But the master control room didn't really have any way of 
uh, chroma keying a, a lower third through a Chiron or anything. So we pre-produced on an M2 tape a Luma key sort of thing with the, the MDA logo and, and the super black things. Right. Over super black. Super exactly. Super black. That was the super best thing black. I ever learned. Oh, what is that? Zero IRE. Zero IRE. Zero IRE. Right. Oh, right. Boy, so we, that's we, we made that over super black. And now this is at a time when, you know, we're on M2 tapes and it's past the time when we're really buying a lot of new M2 tapes, we're getting a lot of old M2 tapes and we're recycling them as we, we don't really, have to use a lot of things and these kind of this kind of a thing was kind of i guess whoever was putting this together figured this isn't a big deal we'll just i'll just pick up this tape we'll throw it in we'll start at the beginning record and let it go for however long and then i'll go out and fix it and, and, then and, it and for the record for those of you who don't know m2 m2 had a huge problem with tape dropouts big time and even when the tape was one pass first used it had problems so the minute you use it a second time yeah, little white flex. <laughs> Almost and... like using a piece of uh, toilet tissue to uh, mm, dam up the, uh, the flood. <laughs> <laughs> so that's being keyed over in master control. So we're in in the uh, in the truck inside the mall doing our local thing. They're up in the phone banks. The anchors are walking around doing their thing, and the numbers keyed over. So in our control room, we see what we're putting out, but we have a little on-air monitor so we can see when Jerry tosses to us and stuff. And so we're going along. Everything's going fine. We get about partway through the segment, and all of a sudden, the entire screen is covered. Our cutaway goes away, but the audio is still there, and we just see our general manager full frame flapping his lips because you can't hear any audio. You just see his lips moving. We're like, where is this coming from? And I'm punching all the buttons on the switch saying, I, I haven't done anything. This is it. I don't know what's going on. And it took about at least 30 seconds, but it felt like 30 minutes mm -hmm. to figure out that this must be further down the chain. And it was because that M2 tape hadn't been bulk erased. Before no deep gousing. <laughs> they got to the end of the, the uh, graphic crawl and whatever was on it, came up and that happened to be a full frame speech from our GM. Do you realize how much worse that actually could have been? That, <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, that was the employee sexual harassment discussion. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the, we're going to help GM, you out here, Chip. Go ahead. So the GM was, he was kind of upset because he didn't know why he was on. That was, that was actually supposed to be a piece that was going to be delivered later. Um, and, like his his wrap up of the thing, like we're so happy to help the MDA and good luck and all that stuff. At the end of the, at the end of the, the last local telethon telethon cut, and we would have produced, and uh, so that came up a little early without audio, and it was um, very embarrassing. And so we finally got out of that. I think we just ended up going back to national right around then. So we eventually figured out what it was, but there was really no lesson to be learned from that other than bulk the tape. Bulk the tape. No do we, matter what do, we, do we need to do a little side note on what bulking a tape is? Do we? Nah, let's just leave it out. All right, there. we'll leave it at that. Look yeah. it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keyword degauss. Yeah. So th I guess that's the only lesson from that. But then a more recent um, disaster was uh, I was uh, out filming with a drone, and uh, we were doing a uh, sort of just an overhead shot of a local business establishment and um, everything was going great. And I don't know if uh, Art, you're familiar with every using those intelligent flight modes. Yes. 
where one where you can, uh, if you fly in over the center of the point you want to sort of orbit, you mark a point, and then you can pull the drone back a distance, and it will fly a perfect circle, keeping the camera locked on it, and it makes a perfect orbit, and they're great shots. I love doing that. And it was going great. I, I, I made a whole orbit around this building one time, and I wanted to get a little further back. And I pulled it back, and I started doing the orbit, and it's going along fine. And I look up, and I'm seeing some trees. I'm thinking, nope, I'm above those trees. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. And sure enough, it wasn't, and it flew directly into the trees. It was almost in slow motion I saw it happening. <laughs> and I just heard the sound from the z of the drone to <laughs> of a weed whacker being the drone taking the leaves out of the tree. Complimentary and pruning. Yeah, and it just kind of just nested itself right in there. So I refused to say I crashed the drone. I just sort of nested it gently in the tree. And how long and did so, it take you to get out of there? Um, it took us about 15 minutes. We were able to find a 30-foot pole and go up there and just tug it a little bit and nudged it out, and everything was fine in the end. Um, and footage, footage was recovered? Footage was no problem with the footage. Everything worked. So it was just an embarrassing moment, but I guess the life lesson learned from that is – Make sure you're above the tree line. <laughs> Even when you think you're above the tree line, just double check and make sure you're above the tree line. Go a little higher. I think everyone can learn a little something from all of those stories, <laughs> I hope. Or at least you have a good laugh and say, at least I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's at least point. I've never rolled a replay backwards on yeah. live TV. I, I can't say I've done that. Yes. Never put myself in that position. Well, I want to thank everyone for participating today. John Sheeran, Lulita, Chip Maynard, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll see you next thank time you. on Thanks This Week in Production. That was a lot of fun. It would be even better if you could add something to the conversation. Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601 601- 564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.